Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hey everybody, welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday felt for the bonus episode where Bob discussed the Charles Raby case. He broke down the appeals filing by Charles Raby's lawyer, and we learned about a massive connection to the Jennifer Jeffley case. Bob's here. Hey, Bob. Hey, I I don't know why. <laughs> why did you start the show? I wanted to. Okay. I was so excited Mike started the show. That was fun. All right. So uh, yeah, I'm here. And then Zach's here too. What's up, Zach? Hey, guys. All right. And then after a quick break, we're going to jump right into these questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, before I jump into these questions, Zach, what did you think of this episode? This really sounds like a crazy case, Bob. I'm glad you brought it forward to us. It has a lot to do with the same players from the Jennifer Jeffley case, which is really interesting. It, an almost identical scenario as far as the, the false confession. Someone had just posted about it on the fan page, and I caught it, it was a couple months ago, and I, I wish I had the listener's name who posted it. But they just put, I think they put, look, Detective Allen at it again. And so I just read the article. So I think this case actually predates Jeffley's case, does it not? Because I think this is a 92 murder. Yeah. You know what? I don't know. I know that the appeals process, Jeffley was ahead because Jeffley's, well, that's his most recent appeal, which was 2017. But, but you know, as I read, Jeffley's case was cited in his appeal, in okay. Charles Raby's appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because his, you know, and I said this, a couple people responded like they were unaware of it. We did talk about it. Jennifer Jeffley's conviction was ruled inadmissible and was thrown out by an appeals court later. So, like, you, you know, we're, I, I'm not talking out of turn when I say Detective Allen and Swainson violated the law in the way they drew out that that confession from her. They coerced from her. A, a, an appeals court ruled that, that, that it was, in fact, wrong. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think the actual crime, I'm, I'm just, as you guys know, I'm. Chest deep right now in the season 11 premiere episode. So I've got a different case floating around my head right now. Um, so Not knee deep. Dates. Chest deep. Sorry. So I do believe the crime actually predates Jeff Lee's crime. Yeah. I'll, I, I I'll believe it's a 92 it. murder and a 94 conviction. Okay. Which means he's been up to this for a while. Yeah. Long, long time. And there's so many parallels. Like, like, I don't know how it made you feel when you were listening to it as I was reading it. Cause you know, the, a, a large portion of the episode was me just reading the appellate doc. 
as I'm reading it, I'm just infuriated. It's like, oh my god, like this. It, the tactics in general are infuriating. Mm-hmm. They were infuriating when we we heard about them and read about them and learned about them during the Jennifer Jeffries case. The problem with Jennifer's case is there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation and, and leaps you have to make. I believe my analysis was correct in the fact that this was a false con- that Jen- Jennifer's was a false confession. It was coerced out of Detective Allen because of his air quotes question answer suggesting format that he literally drove the entire narrative and that that he's dishonest, Swainson is dishonest and they're just and, and they just they they cut corners and just build a case on air. In Charles's case, as I'm reading it, not only am I seeing them doing the exact same thing, but there's zero question in his case, zero question that it was a false confession. And once again, just like with Jennifer's, the elements the details in his confession do not match the crime scene evidence at all, just like in Jennifer Jeffley's. You know, his confession really reminded me of the Charles Erickson confession, which is if you've ever watched Dream Killer on Netflix, it was a, mm-hmm. it was a murder where there was a, a murder committed and essentially the police told him he did it. And the guy eventually came around and said, I must have done it. I was intoxicated. I don't remember. Kind of had a dream about it. And then that's where the Dream Killer thing and ended up confessing and implicating his friend ryan ferguson they both spent time in prison actually charles erickson is still in prison Mm -hmm. because of it ryan ferguson was able to get out but it really reminds me of that because they already said he was not only was he intoxicated the night of the murder they said he was intoxicated during the the questioning right when he was being interrogated Mm -hmm. and and once again no recordings no detailed notes and and the and the final written confession was typed up by alan and signed by uh by raby just like just like Jennifer's. But yeah, so that was if you didn't catch that, what Zach pointed out pointed out was yeah, so essentially first you know, first they use leverage. So they bring his his girlfriend and her baby in and they're they're the way I think it was written was there were there was at least a perceived threat if it wasn't verbal, because of course the police deny that it was that it was verbalized that well they're gonna put them in jail for harboring you if you don't play ball here. He said, so, so they, 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 they lean on him with some leverage and then they start suggesting to him, well, maybe you did this and you don't remember because you were drunk, because you were blacked out, because you were high, you were intoxicated in some way. And so then they get him down this road of, okay, well, if that's the case, then I could have done this, could have done this, could have done this. Alan types it up into a narrative as though he said every word of it and, and confesses the crime. He signs it. And, and again, the, the part that is so maddening. Two parts. One is just like in Jennifer Jeffley's case, they should have known right away when they finally finished their crime scene investigation and their forensics and all these things. And they look at that compared to the confession. You know, part of the checks and balances you're supposed to do in, in their own internal statement analysis of a confession is to say, did they give us it? Did they did they provide us any guilty knowledge? Did they did they tell us anything that we didn't already know? And does the confession match the elements of the crime? And they saw right away there, you know, and again, forgive me for the lack of details. As I said, I'm really into the other case right now, you know, but it was like, you know, he said that he walked in the front door. Well, they know from the crime scene evidence, the front door was locked. No one came in or out the front door. They know that it was, it was forcible entry through a window, I think in a bedroom is where, is where they came. So like nothing adds up. And then you add to the fact that, you know, if, if you're trying to argue, well, maybe they didn't know that maybe they didn't know. That it was a false confession. 
Then they get the, not DNA profile, but blood typing profile of the blood from underneath the victim's fingernails in in what was certainly a hand-to-hand combat scenario where she was killed. And they find out there's a blood, there's blood, a blood type under her nails that doesn't belong to her or anyone that lives in the house and doesn't belong to Charles Raby. And they hide it, don't provide it to the defense. And then when that, when their, when their serologist gets on the stand, he testifies that now, mind you, like, like this is absolute conspiracy and corruption within the district attorney's office because the district attorney did have that information. They still put him on the stand and then they questioned him. And then he testified that the results were inconclusive. Like that, that was conspired before he got up there. That was, that didn't, you know, it wasn't like the DA thought, well, I'm going to put him on and he's going to give this massively exculpatory evidence against Raby. And then was surprised when it came back inconclusive. That was a plan going in. Just absolute, complete corruption. You know, that seems strange, too, with the Jeffley case because there was some, you know, with the fingerprints, there was, you know, they did find her fingerprint and turned it over later. But they had fingerprints that looked very readable that they said were inconclusive, which is very interesting to see if they maybe knew something with that. And I've said that all along. I have no proof of it, but that's. And the thing is, Jim Jim Schraub, who was the fingerprint analyst, was like he was cited for misconduct in multiple cases. I don't remember the statistics, but a bunch of cases, and it was for exactly that. It wasn't that he was misidentifying fingerprints, meaning there's there's no evidence in his track record that the the fingerprints in the Jeffley case on the sliding glass door. It, there's no evidence that those were like actually inconclusive or actually pointed to someone else, and he said that they were Jennifer's. That's not what that wasn't his MO. His MO was when they found other fingerprints and other parts of the crime that exculpated the person they were trying to convict. When he had an ID, he would say they were unreadable. And the audit showed that there was there was I don't even want to say a number because I don't remember them all the top of my head, but there were several times where that was the case, always in favor of the prosecution. And it's that. I mean, the Houston Crime Lab, you can do some research on it, it has had tons and tons of problems with with just corruption not mistakes intentional intentionally uh uh misrepresenting evidence in order to to secure convictions so you've got you know, in this case assembly of the same police department the same actual detective with a false confession in the same way the same DA's office that's that that was you know the same office that prosecuted Sandy Melgar that prosecuted Jennifer Jeffley prosecuted Charles Raby and also prosecuted the case that we're going to begin on Sunday how corrupt they are. And then in his case, once the evidence does come out in Raby's case, and then they find out that, you know, they're able to do full DNA testing on it and prove without a doubt, there's at least one, one unknown male's DNA underneath her fingers. That was blood DNA under her fingers when she was stabbed to death. And when they try to bring that up a trial, the state's fighting against it, uh, saying that it's time barred. He shouldn't be allowed to argue. But again, Charles Raby's on death fucking row. He's going to be executed. There is clear, absolute, clear evidence he did not do this. And they're trying to stop him from even presenting that evidence to an appeals court that can get him not just out of prison, but off of death row where he's sentenced to be murdered by the state. It's so strange to me, and I don't I don't understand any of it. You know, it'd be one. I, I can't even say it's one thing, but it's not even like a mischecked box. You know what I mean? Like, I can't say I couldn't understand that, but it's like it's not a technicality that he's trying to fight. 
I mean, it's it's right. the truth out there that he's trying to fight for, and they're trying to push it under the rug. That it drives me nuts. Yeah, and it, it it's it's an epidemic in Harris County, which is why you know I've told you guys the next season coming up has connections to the Jeff Lee case, of course, and is definitely in Harris County. Same poli- same police department, same same set of issues. It's not going to be a full season, and the, the reason I say, meaning it's not this. This don't expect six months out of this. I'd say probably a couple months. We're going to get through it. I'm more telling the story, uh, and I say that because there's just there's not a whole lot of investigating to do in this one because once again, the person who actually committed the crime, it's pretty clear. Like like it, it's it's obvious. That there's, there's no way for me to get through it, and then be like, okay, let's figure it out because you're going to know. You're going to know who actually did it, and still, the person who we're going to be covering is still sitting in prison to this day, fighting for his life, just like everyone else that has been wrongfully convicted in Harris County. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Let's jump into the questions from the listeners, guys. Joshua says, at this point for Charles Raby, can his legal team request a new judge to review the case? I know in the episode you stated, quote, the prosecution is trying to block the new habeas petition, but it seems like they are also fighting with a judge or judges that do not seem to be concerned with justice. What do you think? I, I, I wish I had a better answer for that. I, I'm not super well versed in Charles's case. I've read through a lot of the materials on the web. By the way, I said the website wrong and, and why I'm thinking about it, Mike, if you can, when you publish this, if you can go back to the main episode. And in the episode notes, go ahead and include the link. I don't think we included it at all, but I had said it wrong. I said it's savecharlesraby.com. It's actually savecharlesdraby.com. So that correction here, we'll have it in the show notes of this episode, and we'll, and we'll try to get it corrected on the or get it added to the next one. But there's a ton of materials on there, and I read through a lot of them. But you know, as I said, those these these three weeks of of bonus episodes were, you know, to give me time to prep and get ready for season 11. So I just didn't have time to fully deep dive into the case. I did do some things like, you know, when reading through the appeals document that I read to you on the episode last week, you know, when they were saying there was this DNA evidence, I did go through and look on the website and look at the actual DNA reports and confirm that that information was that the lawyer was stating in the brief was accurate. And it was. Uh, But as far as where things are at legally right now, I really don't know. I just, I just haven't had time to dig into it. I wanted to, and if anybody who's, who's, um, because we've had some people that are advocates for Charles Raby tweet me and, um, and, and send some Facebook messages. One thing I would suggest to you is on the website, savecharlesdraby.com, 
you need to put some contact information for someone on the outside. Because my intention was to find an advocate for Charles to come on the podcast and interview with me and tell the story. But the website is written, whoever created and it's a great website, but it's created as though it's uh, Charles that made the website. And so the contact, when you hit like contact form, it's just a, a place to send letters, you know, how to get a hold of Charles on, on JPay, the address to mail him letters, uh, things like that. I, w- I would really recommend uh, for you to put somewhere on the on the website someone on the outside a contact that is that is maybe working with or with the legal team or with the or or just an advocate for people to contact. But I will say that you know that that that's the place to go for those questions. I don't know where I really don't even know where things are at. The way I understood the website, it seems like the case is still being litigated, meaning the. The brief that I read to you, I believe, is still the most current. I think they're waiting for a judge to hear that or a panel of judges to hear that and rule on it as to whether they're allowed to argue the new evidence of the DNA that was found under the fingernails. Dean says, not really a question, but I think a good conversation to cover in the follow-up is the potential alignment to Adnan's case. Didn't the decision in his case get reversed because the cell tower evidence cannot be considered because it should have been raised with the original habeas request? Ultimately, there is a big concern here set by Anand's case about the finality of cases and how many chances at habeas people get. Yeah, it's, man, it's tough. So, yeah, that's exactly what happened. You're exactly right. That's exactly what happened with Adnan is with the new evidence that was presented at his habeas hearing in 2016, the judge ruled that his conviction was, was not sufficient, most, I believe primarily due to the cell phone evidence, and it should be thrown out and ordered a new trial. The state appealed that. They made it through the first round of appeals that the defense did. And then the second round of appeals, it was thrown out, not because the evidence was invalid, not because they disagreed that the that, that evidence should have caused the conviction to thrown out. It was based on a technicality. It was it was it was it was a time barred argument because that evidence should have been available to Adnan when he filed his first habeas claim. And since, because you have, you can only present new and compelling evidence in, through, throughout habeas. So they claim that since the evidence was available to him, even though he didn't have access to it and he didn't have the resources to get at it, it was accessible. And, and they didn't have anybody to, because, you know, serial hadn't come around. Robbie was, hadn't been able to start undisclosed yet to, to bring all the people in and get like Susan Simpson's eyes on the case to add the resources to figure out what all of the location data meant. He really, practically speaking, did, was not able to present that the first time. But since it was technically available, they reinstituted his conviction. And now he's in, a, in, in probably a really long multi-year fight for his life to try to, to get that resolved. The balance is, you know, it's all about finality of justice. The balance of that is if we don't have those kinds of limitations, then the appeals court's will be so full of people just continuously taking more and more bites at the apple and just trying over and over again, then the legitimate wrongful conviction cases, instead of waiting two years, might be waiting 10 years to get their case heard. So there, there's a reason for it. The solution to it is an honest district attorney's office. So it, it, take it at Nan's case. They, they clearly proved that the state withheld evidence with the cell phone tower, they had a they had the the fax cover sheet Susan Simpson found showed 
that the state had had a had instructions with the cell phone data that clearly said you cannot use incoming calls for location. And they withheld that from the defense. And then they presented an argument based on location from incoming calls. It 100% should have been thrown out. He definitely should have been ordered a new trial. The state knows that. So what I mean by if you had an honest DA's office, could they go back and argue, oh, that's time barred. He wasn't allowed to argue that. Sure. Is there an argument for Charles Raby not to be able to argue this DNA because it was somehow available when he filed his, his first habeas claim? I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But, but say that it was. The fact of the matter is the prosecution is, it knows that there is new evidence. There is evidence that proves he's innocent and he's on death row. So an honest DA's office not, shouldn't be fighting against the defense. This should be one of those instances, like we saw with Kerry Max Cook's case, where the DA goes with the defense to the judge and says, we agree this should be thrown out. He is, you know, whether that means he's exonerated or it means they order a new trial where he can be tried fairly and constitutionally without false evidence, without false testimony, and with the defense having all of the information. An honest district attorney's office would do that. A, a good conviction integrity unit would do that. But the, when they're using those technicalities that are put there to stop frivolous, continuous pleads for innocence with the courts, taking up all of the court's time and resources, and they're using that to keep innocent people on death row, it's disgusting. Lene says it's heartbreaking how many lives are affected by these improper convictions. Not only are families torn apart because their loved ones get sent away, but the real perpetrators are left free to most likely commit more crimes. I wonder how much worse the crime rate is because of these police tactics. I'm sure it's higher. I mean, I, 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 there's no way to put a number on it. But I mean, you know, the, the fact is when you have an innocent person get locked up for something they didn't do and you leave the criminal, the murderer, the sex offender, whatever they are on the streets. Yeah, they're more likely to commit more crimes. And we've seen it time and time and time again. We've seen so many times, so many examples of a wrongful conviction. And when they finally find the right guy, they found out that the person has offended, whether it's sexual assault or, or murder or it, whatever it was, has offended multiple times after the state pursued the wrong person. Melissa says, this is my first question and observation and probably out of left field. As an outsider from Tasmania, I've observed that one of the big problems with DAs is the election of DAs and their political ambitions. The election of sheriffs is also an issue. I'm thinking wholesale structural change is required. In fact, the huge number of small police forces appears to also be problematic, particularly where communication and training are concerned. What are your thoughts? Honestly, I would rather a small department than a big department. There's not as much pressure and political pressure to close cases in a smaller department. So the small town where I live, if there was a murder here, it would be all hands on deck and they would be insistent on, on trying to solve this case, just like any other place. The difference is if it's in a place like Houston or Baltimore, there's, you know, thousands of police officers all trying to make a name for themselves. There is a highly political police commission that is that is running for reelections constantly 
based on their closure rate, where they can say, I'm tough on crime. Look, I've gotten all these criminals. I don't have any unsolved cases. We're solving all the murders now that I'm in charge. You don't have that as much with a smaller department. But yeah, election, I don't know what the solution is. I don't think the, the election should be taken out of it, you know, because, because that completely takes our power away as ordinary citizens. If we're not allowed to at least get involved and decide who's in those positions, then we're really screwed. So, you know, I, I think the better solution is for us as citizens and all of our local municipalities to pay attention, ask the right questions, and, and be an informed voter when it comes time to elect the sheriff and the district attorney. Adina says, how can we help expose the DAs as well as the detectives? We're here to help. Just give us the go. And while we're on this topic, listener Capri writes, what can I do from Indiana to help? In this particular case, the best thing you can do is go to savecharlesdraby.com and get involved there. Even I I had somebody tweet at me that uh, says that they're, they're, I think, from the UK and they correspond with Charles on a regular basis. Even that, you know, it's. We've learned a lot from from Ed Eights and and Jesse Eldridge, you know, especially guys that have been in there for a long time. Man, it means it sure does mean a lot to those guys when when they've got something coming to them during mail call. It may seem like a small thing, but when you're that isolated, uh, j- just an encouraging letter and someone to talk to makes a makes a really big difference. So, and all that information again is on the is on the website. As far as getting inv- getting involved, you know, I. Man, if, if if I knew that there was a solution that if we all did this, then that would fix it, I would be screaming it from the rooftops. I just don't know. All we can do is continue to expose corruption, call it out, make people accountable for what they do. It's a big part, and we're just a small piece of it, man. There's so many other great, great true crime podcasts and TV shows and documentaries and things that are out there that are just really focusing on on exposing corruption and and it's not always going to fix the past but we sure hope that it can influence the future and, and and what i mean by that is the more and more people that come to an audience and and, and if you're you're all listening to this you're part of that audience if, if people are listening and watching and taking steps and getting on social media and doing what they can knowing that that exposure is out there has to change the way things are done. Even, you know, I've, I know I've said it here a million times. I've been saying it for years. But it, it, if the effect of the Truth and Justice podcast is that when new recruits are being trained for the police department or, or, or become prosecutors and they're being trained, and during that training they're being told, you need to do your job, like some, at some point, some podcaster somewhere is going to point out every single thing you did that I would hope that would make some people think twice about taking the the actions that that we've seen so many take that steal so many lives. You know, you and I had dinner with a police chief not too terribly long ago, and he said exactly that of his crew, is to, you know, go through everything as if somebody's watching you. Yeah, yeah. And he was a great guy. And, and again, he, he, he mirrored the sentiment that I've said a lot of, so many people think that I'm anti-police. I'm not anti-police. I'm anti-bad police. Mm-hmm. And and I said, you know, we have a ton of law enforcement officers that listen to this show, that help with this show, that participate, that some of the experts that we bring on. is because no one hates a dirty cop worse than a good cop because they make them look bad. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Christina says, I was really impressed by the way the issues were raised in the habeas petition, and it seemed to be quite well written. I had to do some research to see what was currently going on with the case because I got the impression the habeas was still pending. Can you share the current status with listeners? Uh, like I said earlier, and just a uh, little shout out to Christina. Christina is one of the people on our research team that helped select the uh, the next two cases you're going to hear. Um, and and she works for I, I don't want to. She works for an innocence organization, an innocence project organization. So she she knows her stuff. And and Christina, I I don't know. Like I said, so you, I'm I'm glad to know that you also weren't able to figure out exactly where things are at because I thought I was just doing a poor job of researching. Uh, but I don't know the, the 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 best way I understood it is exactly what you said. I, it seems like it's still pending that they're still waiting on a ruling on whether or not they can argue the new DNA evidence. All right, our last question is from Lynn. How long were you, Bob, a substitute teacher? Other than meeting Becky, did you enjoy teaching? Yeah. So uh, I'm sure this is I think in regard to after the my my rant last week about dress codes and stuff, there was a lot of discussion about whether. I somebody had said something along the lines of it's easy for you to say you've never worked in a school to which I said well, that's pretty presumptuous. I actually did work in a school for seven years is the answer. Um, my wife was 16 years, um, a paraprofessional. We both worked at a school for emotionally impaired kids and, and I loved it. I did it for seven years. So mo- I, I assume all of you know that I used to be a fireman before I was the chief when I was still on the line. Uh, I worked 24 hour shifts. And when you work 24-hour shifts, you only work nine days a month. So I had a lot of days off. So I filled in my my days off working as a substitute teacher two to three days a week at that school. I particularly liked I, – I subbed a lot in a lot of schools. And after about a year, I, I found that place and really felt at home there. It was the kind of place where even coming in as a sub for a short – you know, for a day or two here or there, I could make connections and really feel like you're making a difference because a lot of these kids – there, there's, there's a term called socially maladjusted that we would use. So, some of the kids weren't truly emotionally impaired, but rather um, socially maladjusted, meaning they, they just came, they came from tough backgrounds and and you know some of their behaviors at school uh, and other places had a lot more to do with their their upbringing and their environment than it did with any actual impairment. And so having people that that were there and cared about them and interacted with them and showed an interest in them really made a big difference. That's why Becky liked it so much when she was there for, again, 16 years, and I really enjoyed it. The only reason I stopped doing it was because I, I took the fire chief promotion, and when I did that, I got moved into a Monday through Friday 8-to-5 job, so wasn't able to do it anymore. But I did very much enjoy it. That's it for questions. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. You know, these last few weeks have been a really nice refresh, a reboot for us, but I'm really excited for next week and to start on this new case. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm really, I mean, I've been, as I said, I've been, I've been buried in it for the, for the last couple of weeks. It's, it is a super interesting case. It is another infuriating case. And, and if you haven't done the math yet, I told you that I was going to have an episode for you where 
I would show you how how one of our detectives, Detective Allen, uh, was involved in another obviously obvious wrongful conviction. That's what you heard this week with Charles Raby. Uh, and so what you're gonna now you're gonna hear, you know, if you remember in the Jennifer Jeffley case, I leaned heavily on the fact that I thought all by my analysis, all signs were indicating that Roy Swainson was, in my opinion, a dirty cop. I mean, I, I think he was, I think he was, he was modifying people's statements. We had over and over again where he's interviewing people, writes some stuff in a report that doesn't seem to make sense. And then, of course, they never testify. Well, Roy Swainson was behind what I believe is another very obvious wrongful conviction. And that's the case that we're going to be starting this Sunday in two days. Make sure you tune in for the season 11 premiere of Truth and Justice this Sunday. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. I'll open it up. Hey, I love I love the enthusiasm. Let's do it. Let me bring this thing back around. Okay, bring the heat.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for our... This is your Friday follow-up for the bonus episode where Bob discussed the Charles Raby case. Uh, it's not as easy as you think, is it? The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.